This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's red and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning on winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, my name is Nalo Hopkinson. And I'm going to be talking to you about uh, issue seven of House of Whispers, which is one of the four books in the new Sandman series from Vertigo. I am uh, the writer, in this case, the co-writer. I co-wrote the issue with Dan Waters, who's also writing uh, Lucifer for the new Sandman books. Um, I am a science fiction and fantasy author. Um, this is my first comic that I'm writing, but I've published novels and short stories for about 20 years now. Um, I've won the Warner Aspect First Novel Contest, the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, the World Fantasy Award, the Andre Norton Award, and others that I'm forgetting. However, this is my first comic, and of course, I'm cutting my eye teeth learning to write comics by working on The Sandman, which is one of the most popular uh, comic series when it first came out um, uh, low these many years ago. Um, it would not have been my plan to start learning how to write comics by writing for The Sandman, but that's how it came to me. Don't hate me. Uh, so, presuming that you've got issue seven in front of you and you have looked at and admired that wonderful cover by Sean Andrew Murray, uh, and it might clue you in that uh, the waking world parts of this story are set in New Orleans. The artist is Domo Stanton, wonderful, wonderful artist. Um, colors by John Rauch and lettering by Daron Bennett. And it's been amazing to work with all these folks, including Dan. Um, I started writing the House of Whispers on my own. Um, the first four, four issues were written on my own. And the learning curve is pretty steep when you're learning to write something like this. Uh, I also have a full-time job and a full-time writing career. And it was taking me a long time and lots of rewrites to uh, deal with each issue. So finally, the Vertigo editor said, would you like a co-writer? And I said, yes, please. But who do you think can handle it? And they said, Dan can. And boy, can he ever. So um, 
Let's just start with page one. What's happened here is uh, my main character, Erzuli, uh, Erzuli Freda in this case, um, has been going through some stuff. She is now free of much of that stuff, but of course new stuff has come up. She is in her houseboat, um, which it's very complicated, but she's gotten the molecules of one of her three husbands mixed up in the houseboat. Uh, and she's trying to find a way to disentangle him before he loses his sense of self completely and um, becomes completely houseboat, which is not really what you want out of a husband, even if you are a goddess. So there, my idea was that they would be sailing on... So they are sailing on um, rivers of whispers, um, trying to find someone who can disentangle Agwe from the boat. So what you're seeing here is the stories that they're seeing all around them as they travel on this uh, sort of river of whispers. And I wanted to pull in a story of which I'm very fond, which is the uh, tale of the Taino peoples, who are the native peoples of the Caribbean region, um, because they, their myth goes that they used to live on the moon and that they could look around themselves and see other um, round objects in space that were shining that they knew to be similar objects to the moon they were on. And I love it that it, uh, people who had not yet evolved the technology just from observance of the sky figured out that we are on something round floating in space and that the other lights they're seeing in the sky also were similar. But they say they used to live on the moon and they looked down at the earth and it was dirty and they were ashamed uh, because they should have been looking after it better. So they came down to the earth in sky boats to clean it up. And while they were cleaning it up, uh, they came down to the earth in cloud boats. They came down to the earth in cloud boats to clean it up. And while they were cleaning it up, the clouds did what clouds do uh, and floated away and stranded them. So that's one of the stories that you see there. Um... You also see some of the people who are traveling with Erzuli. Uh, I brought in Uncle Monday, who is a character from African-American folklore, uh, who is sometimes a man, sometimes an alligator. Uh, he's not in this particular scene, but to the left of him, his son, Chikili, is. And Chikili, the name is... Um, uh, Okay, skip that. Chikili is carving a piece of wood, uh, and because this is, uh, let's say, the dreaming, what people do here also will sometimes have a reflection in the waking world. So I did a little bit of, you'll see later on, that the the uh, the thing that Chikili is carving is referenced later on when we get into the waking world. So in the old Sandman series, one of my favorite characters, he shows up in one panel in, I think, I think, think book six, I can't quite remember, is an old man who's working in Dream's castle. He has one arm and one swan wing. And I remember looking at that image and thinking, damn, I think I know who that is. Uh, there is an old folktale called the Six Swans. Um, and it's about princes who get changed into swans and their sister uh, manages to change them back. But um she's hurrying and she it doesn't manage to completely change the youngest one and he's left with one swan wing the 
man in the uh, copy of uh, Sandman I was reading is an older man, but I thought, this is the Swan Prince as an old man, and I always wanted to see more about him. So now I get to write a little bit more about him, and he's in this issue, um, just following the boat. Uh, and he's the one who points out that uh, Elsie's husband hasn't spoken in a while. So, of course, she gets into the water to ask him if she if he's okay. Uh, she gets into the water to ask him if he's okay. Um, he is not. He tells her that he's losing his mind, essentially, and becoming all boat. On top of it, the other people she's traveling with are uh, are losing themselves. Three of them are souls, and they are trying to escape into the light, even though two of them have bodies. Long story. Um, Chiquili and his dad, Uncle Monday, are feeling more alligatorish than humanish, um, and so on. And these are all souls in Elsie's care, people in Elsie's care, and she doesn't know what to do about them. So she calls down to some of her worshippers uh, in the waking world. So here's where you see uh, the this house in New Orleans that is um, a communal house where. Uh, people who perform in the gay ballrooms all live together and share expenses and, and so on and, and, and uh, um, manage their careers out of it. The, a lot of people who were part of this community um, struggled with staying employed, struggled with uh, acceptance um, from family members um, and this is just a way that they can support each other. So this kind of house, it is called uh, the House of Dahomey, which is actually technically where Elsie comes from, Dahomey in Africa. So this house, all these houses will have a house mother and a house father. Um, the houses will usually be mostly male, but uh, the house mother I've created is a person of... Um, complex gender, a genderqueer person called Alter Boy, and Alter is spelt like change. I conceived of Alter Boy at the very beginning when I was starting to write uh, House of Whispers, and I wanted them to look like uh, an aging Grace Jones, which if you've seen Grace Jones recently, you know that there's no such thing. I have no idea how old she is, probably heading for 70, and she doesn't look like it at all. But Alter Boy does look their age, um, mixes and matches clothing from from various genders. Um, it's got kind of an Afropunk look going on, and I love Alter Boy. So Alter Boy is the mother of the house. Um, and when Exuli visits uh, the waking world um, and visits this particular house, she does so by... We call it sitting on the head of, but uh, in if you were Catholic, if you're raised on you know horror movies, you'd think of it as possession. It is possession, but it is consensual possession. Alter Boy, as a worshiper, agrees to let Elzuli, uh, their um, mother deity, inhabit them for a while. So Elzuli comes down trying to get some help, trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, as things do in stories, stuff happens. 
Um, if you've been following along, I don't need to explain the backstory, but Latoya and Maggie show up. They're trying to get their souls back. Um, and they have decided that the way to do so is to free another deity they've just learned of, who is Shakpana, the deity of uh, smallpox and other plagues. Problem is, Shakpana currently is not exactly sane. So that's going to be a problem. Now we break and we start a second storyline that... Um, when Dan and I were brainstorming, originated with him of this young woman who wakes up one morning and the world has changed in that the eyes of animals reflect all the pain and suffering that we put them through. So we're going to follow her through um, what's happening in the world as this is going on. But now, for now, we pop back to the Waking World House of Dahomey, where Latoya and Maggie have freed Shakpana from a prison that his his uh, uncles um, put him in. And he's loaded for bear, and he sets out to attack. Elsie knows that this is not good. She probably can't withstand him. And just as you're getting into it, hopefully we break again. We're back in the story where animals' eyes reflect all the pain and suffering that human beings put them through, which of course means that some animals, um, which of course means that some people decide these eyeballs or delicacies. This is from The Twisted Brain of Dan Waters. I give you Dan Waters, my friends. Um, so we have this whole sequence, which I, I just love how Domo set it up and, and, and what the panels look like, and uh, where you see somebody being interviewed and you get introduced to the idea that uh, people have started eating eyeballs for fun. And of course, there are people who will protest that. Um... And the whole thing is getting more and more twisted, and you're wondering what in the world does this have to do with um, what's happening in the house of Dahomey and what's happening with Elzuli. And then, whoop, we bounce you back to the house of Dahomey. Um, in order to act in the waking world, these deities, uh, I didn't create them, they come from, from uh, the Yoruba religion, uh, from the from West Africa, these deities need a human to who is a worshiper who says, "You can inhabit my body for a short time." And this is actually what happens in a worship ceremony. And uh, when the god comes down and sits on someone's head, and that person becomes them for a while, and um, they give advice to their worshippers. In this case, however, Shakpan is up to no good. He solemnly swears he's up to no good, um, but he needs a body to do all the mayhem. And Latoya, who doesn't really know enough about this religion at all, says, pick me. And he says, mm, I'm meaning to do some really, really bad stuff, and I'm not sure you have the stomach for it. 
So he goes off to look for somebody who does. And he finds poor Hector, who's in jail. I um, created Hector to be a man living in New Orleans who has this when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply disease that's happening all through the the House of Whispers storyline where he firmly believes he's dead uh, despite all evidence to the contrary and poor Hector has it in a, such a way that when he looks in the mirror he sees a rotting corpse and he his he smells rot all the time so he's forever taking showers but the dare soul has decided that since he's clearly a zombie and nobody's killing him and he's hungry, he knows what zombies eat uh, and he has killed a few people for their brains. So fair enough, he's been put in jail and, you know, fiction is about things going wrong. So in the interest of torturing poor Hector even more, I decided I would make it that although he's convinced that's what he should be eating, he doesn't even like brains. He doesn't like the taste. He doesn't like the texture, which is uh, like soft boiled eggs. And that's actually true. That's why you try not to rattle your brains around in your head too much. Um, they're actually quite delicate. Um, so he's here in jail. He still feels he needs to be buried, that he's convinced he's dead. He doesn't like what he's been eating anyway. So things are not good with him. And when Shakpana comes and says, so do you want to go have some fun? Hector says yes. And Shakpana lies and says, because it'll be better than what's happening here with you. Now we're back in Elzuli's domain in her houseboat um, where we're beginning to discover where it is she's decided to go. And we get to see a little bit of uh, Uncle Monday in his He's he's a healer, really, but now that things are going wrong in Elsie's domain, he's not quite himself, and more of his alligator self is coming through. And he picks up one of the books that he stole from um, Dream's Castle. Um, he says he needs it, that it's very important, and what he ends up doing with it is um, using it to, to fix a wobbly table. Anybody who's ever looked after books, cared for books, been a librarian, the idea that you're using uh, a precious book to uh, fix a wobbly table probably gives you anguish, <laughs> which makes it that much more fun uh, to put into a story. I forget which of us came up with the putting the book under the table. I think it might have been Dan. He also did... Uh, a bit about if you if you won't help 
Lady Elzulia got some hot sauce for that wing when he's threatening um Uncle Mundy is threatening the Swan Prince and I, I giggled for days, I swear. And now we're back in the storyline with the woman who's really doesn't want to eat eyeballs. Things are getting worse as things do. Um, now that there's stores that supply them and um, of course the best eyeballs are human eyeballs um, and uh, people are starting to be killed for their eyeballs and they're being eaten. So Maha has been protesting, going to protests, um, trying to become a vegetarian. Uh, it seems the easiest route to go right now since everything is so weird, but um, she hasn't quite given up her meat-eating ways and she's convinced herself it's okay so long as she doesn't eat the eyeballs. Then we discover that she is telling the story about what's going on to someone and she finds herself in a restaurant that she doesn't realize is an eyeball restaurant uh, about to order something and she just goes with it because she's hungry. And here's where on page uh, 19 you have that lovely reveal, if you know the, um, the Sandman at all, that lovely reveal of who her guest uh, in the restaurant is. Um, and if you know the, the Sandman, um, you begin to understand what's going on. And I really love what Domo did with this image, where the frame is also the outline of the Corinthian's head and the eyeballs that uh, Maha is about to make herself eat go sort of kind of where the eyes would be and then at the bottom, the chin is the Corinthian himself, and he's got his trademark um, mouths for eyes. He's another character that I really enjoyed in the original uh, Sandman, so I was tickled when um, I discovered it would be okay to put him uh, for a bit in my book. Uh, I don't know why I like him so much. I can't read horror. I can't watch horror. I can kind of sort of write it though. So there he is. And the Corinthian is a nightmare. And what he's doing is giving this poor woman, Maha, a nightmare. And suddenly, hopefully, the weird stuff you've been you've been reading about her storyline begins to make sense because of course it's all dream logic. And she's he's trying he's he's trying to get uh, he, he's making Maha dream of maybe having just one more little cataract. Um, I threw in a little bit of a Monty Python reference there. I hope that the editors or the legal department of Vertigo will let me keep that. Um, and we have uh, the Swan Prince who have named Theodore interrupting and saying, "So there's this deity. She needs your help." Now we're back at Elzuli's boat, uh, and my Elzuli, when she's in the water, um, it has a mermaid form.
So she's trying to keep her husband Agwe mindful um, while she waits for help or tries to get to help. And you may ask, so how can the Corinthian help? So here they are, Erzuli and the Corinthian, sitting to table inside Erzuli's houseboat while a reluctant um, Theodore Swan Prince serves them and says, you know, Prince, not a servant. Um, And we begin to tease Dan and I who it is they're going to. Uh, the Corinthian drops the uh, hint that his name is Koiku. If you know anything about your um, West African mythology, you've already figured out who it is. If you don't, doesn't matter, we'll get there. Another clue, another Easter egg, is when he says he's gotten so swollen with all the stories he eats. Um, I keep telling him to slow down or he'll hurt himself. And then... The next image, the final image, is, of course, of Kweku Anansi, the um, shape-shifting, sometimes a man, sometimes a spider, being from West African folklore um, to whom God gave all the stories. Uh, Dan and I decided that what Anansi does with stories is he consumes them. Um, that he himself is made up of stories. So the stories don't go away, they just sort of transmute when he eats them. And here he is in his web um, with stories trapped in it. And Kweku Anansi and the Corinthian are friends of a sort. Um, and Anansi being as powerful as, as he is, Elzuli is asking the Corinthian to intercede for them. Um, and I do to sort of carry the idea that that uh, Quaker and Nancy and the Corinthian in this story have stuff in common. Uh, you'll see that Anansi has multiple eyes, as spiders do, and the eyes are also mouths. Um, Anansi's um, uh, hind end is, I guess you'd call that your. Th- the thorax, I have forgotten my biology lessons, but I think that's what it is, actually looks like a face. So this conflation of eyes and mouths and consuming and looking is happening at some level with Anansi as well. As to the stories caught in his web, I chose a few different ones to suggest to, uh, to Domo. And one of my favorites is down at the left there. You see that strange creature with its snout wrapped? It's the pobble that has no toes. Uh, and that's from an Edward Lear poem, which is a poem I read as a child and that stuck with me. Um, so there you have it. As to working together, uh, Dan and I, on on writing the series... We've hit upon a, a, a way of working that seems to work for us. I brainstorm with him. I tell him what kinds of things I'm planning for the next issue. Um, usually my brainstorming, I have images. I have, you know, things I want to bring up. Plot, I'm often asking for more help with. 
Um, Dan is great at taking uh, existing things in the world and going, well, suppose it's a Nancy they're looking for. You already mentioned a Nancy. And I say, damn, that's great. Let's do that. Uh, and together we cobble together a page by page breakdown of how we're going to write it. Then we wrist wrestle for, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Dan is in London and I'm in Riverside, California. Uh, we talk very politely via email or via Skype about who's going to write which elements of the story. And we sort of split it in half. Um, Dan goes away and writes his half. I write my half. Then we bring it all together and sort of sand it down the edges so that the pieces fit together. Um, one of the things that I will look at is um, how the bits of the mythology work, uh, whether those are fitting smoothly. I look at our language. Um, Dan tends to write in a way that is befitting of gods who are royalty. It's very sort of um, flowery language. And my writing style isn't quite the same. So I will sort of fiddle a bit there. Um, and every so often, if it's uh, the characters that are in, in New Orleans, um, I, I might try and go for more of a, a vernacular, which... <sighs> It's kind of funny. I am not American. Uh, I am from the Caribbean. So for me, writing a New Orleans accent, I'm doing a lot of looking stuff up on YouTube and throwing in words um, that I, that I, you know, bless YouTube and people who get on YouTube and say, I'm from New Orleans and here's how we talk, because uh, that's part of what's going in there. Um, which sections we write will change about from time to time depending on just who wants to write what. Um, so it's kind of like, I think of it as being kind of like the method that the that Leo and Diane Dillon, who were husband and wife team um, of visual artists who did a lot of illustration uh, in science fiction fantasy, uh, the way they used to work. Uh, they would start with a huge canvas. He'd pick one side, she'd pick the other. They'd paint and then they'd switch uh, and that's how they got their pieces looking unified. So that's that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, I'm finding this a much more fun way to write because when I get stuck with something, I have somebody to lob it to and say, what do you think? What could we do with this to make it work better? Um, it's going a lot faster, the writing. I'm not now taking a month and a bit. I mean, I'm still taking a month and a bit, but I'm not spending all of it writing and rewriting and rewriting the rewrite. Uh, I'm, I'm getting closer to what I want um, a lot sooner. I'm learning a whole lot from Dan. Um, and it's just become a way more enjoyable process. So that's what we did with House of Whispers 7. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever.